The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. In the midst of this series, this changes everything. We're trying to intentionally show you that there are uh, churches and movements of God and the gospel going on all over the country and all around the world among people who are nothing like us. Um, and, and what we're asking you to do and what we're being faced with, I believe what God is challenging us with as a congregation is that we would go to people who are not like us, that we would go across cultural lines to take the gospel, the good news, as you heard in this uh, in this video, that Jesus Christ died in our place to pay our sin debt. And he has been raised from the dead so that we might be forgiven and also be raised to live with him forever. And we want to take that message to uh, some place in the world and also into our community, our neighborhood, as well as the nations. We want to take the gospel, too. And I've been your pastor now for um, going on three years. Uh, this September will be three years that I will have been here. And we've seen God do some really good things over the last three years or so. But nothing compares, nothing touches, I don't think, what I believe he's asking us to do now. What I believe he's calling us to now. Uh, I've been in ministry now for um, almost two decades, um, serving the Lord in vocational ministry. And I believe what I'm attempting to lead you through, us through, as a faith family, is the biggest endeavor that I have ever attempted to follow God in. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear the weight of that because this has so gripped me. I lose sleep over this. I woke up this morning in a dream, kind of a nightmare dream. You ever have any of those? It's, it's good, but it's also scary and you don't really know what's going on. You don't know where you are. You ever wake up like that? You know, am I in my bed? Where am I? I lose sleep over this, and uh, and I want us to do more than lose sleep over it. I want us to do more than pray. I want us to do more than give. I'm asking us to go. And a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, I came to you and I told you that there would be a special announcement made on this day. And uh, to do that, I've asked one of our own to come and make that announcement. And uh, he's going to share with you a process that has brought us to this point today. Uh, I thought it would be maybe better coming from um, one of one of our own rather than everything just coming from me. And I, I hear me. I don't think that it's just me that's caught this, but I want you to see that this what God's calling us to is going to be a church wide endeavor. And so without anything further, I'm going to ask Wallace to come. I've asked Wallace Hughes to come and share with us um, what we believe uh, God is leading us to. Thank you, Wallace. Let me briefly share with you this morning. What has brought us to this point today and why Scott's series of messages on the Great Commission is God's plan for us for this five-week period of time in the life of our church. Last fall, Scott attended a conference 
led by the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, entitled, Embrace the Ends of the Earth. Whenever he returned home, seeking the leadership of God, he asked nine people who are members of our church to join him in praying intentionally for God's direction for our church in carrying out the Great Commission. The ten of us were asked to pray, seeking God's leadership for the church, and to do this over a period of six weeks and then come back together. Well, with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's holidays and a lot of activities going on at that time, we extended that six-week period of time before we were able to get back together and share what we were experiencing as a part of this intentional prayer time. Using a prayer guide from the International Mission Board, our vision was a multitude of every language, people, tribe, and nation knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. The mission of this was to make disciples of all nations in fulfillment of the Great Commission. And this vision and mission statement came directly from the International Mission Board. During our prayer time, and also using this time to personally look at the spiritual condition of our world, we discovered that there are some 3,800 people groups that are considered unengaged and unreached. They're lost. And they haven't heard the good news that God sent His Son into the world to willingly give His life as the ultimate sacrifice for sin in order that they could know Him and worship Him. Well, the question for us was this. Is our church willing to do everything possible to make Him known to the nations? Will we do whatever it takes to embrace an unengaged, unreached people group so that they can know and they can worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To do that, we have to understand that there will be geographic, religious, cultural, governmental, and other significant barriers that we'll have to deal with. We will have to do what we can to see that churches are planted among them. And we'll have to be willing to go where they are, and even to learn to communicate with them in their own language if their language is different to ours. Well, our next step was to learn as much as possible about these people. And some of us took assignments to learn about the different parts of our world where the needs are great and where our International Mission Board and North American Mission Board have targeted areas and people groups for a witness now. As we continued to meet, we shared what we learned with each other. 
I put all the information that was shared in a notebook, which I have before me this morning. I have 92 pages in this notebook, and it'll literally break your heart if you sit down and read all of the statistics that we gathered, all the information about the people groups that we looked at. We looked at areas in Central and South America, Europe, Africa, Central Asia, India. At the end of each meeting, Scott would ask us if we had a strong, positive feeling about the area that was being reported on. We had some areas that we felt stronger about than about others. But everywhere we looked, the need was tremendous. Not millions, but billions of people live in these areas who do not know our Savior. Most of them have not even heard of Him. In addition to the spiritual needs of the people, we did take into consideration cost of travel, time of travel, the fear factor, making it possible for as many as possible to be involved, being able to be involved in a long period of time, and perhaps being able to send several groups every year to meet and help the same people group. Our last presentation was closer home, Canada. Most of us were shocked to learn about the lost condition of Canada. The population of Canada is approximately 33,720,000 people. There are 272 Baptist churches in all of Canada, fewer than we have right here where we live in Greenville and Spartanburg counties. The number of non-evangelicals in Canada is 30 million. Now remember, I just told you that the population is 33,720,000. Only 8% of the Canadians are connected to an evangelical church compared to 28% here in the United States of America. There's only one Baptist church in Canada for every 124,000 people. Well, the North American Mission Board has set a goal of planting 1,000 new churches in Canada by 2020. That's less than eight years from now. Scott has talked with personnel from North American Mission Board, and they would be thrilled for us to be involved in church planting and then work with a new church plant to help them to grow in their relationship to God, and then help them to plant other churches in Canada. 
And so we came away from the last meeting that the group of ten had, believing that this is the area that God has used the process over a period of several months to guide us to, and more specifically, to either the city of Toronto or the city of Montreal. Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in all of the world. In the year 2001, 50% of the population of Toronto was born outside the country of Canada. Montreal has 5 million people in its population. Now hear this. One half of 1% are evangelicals. My first mission trip was to Jamaica in February of 1970. In the second year that I was pastor here at Abner Creek Baptist Church. Twenty years later, 1990, I led a group on a mission to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And then in 1993 and 1994, I led work in Kenya and East Africa. 1995, I returned to Brazil for a project in North Brazil. Knowing what I know, having experienced what I have experienced in mission work, I'm excited, I'm thrilled, and I'm pleased about the possibilities of many of you getting involved in great mission work. And I rejoice that we have a pastor who has a heart and a mind for missions, not only locally, but to the ends of the earth. What I'd like to do now, thank you, Wallace, is I'd like to um, take just a minute or two and just pray together as a faith family. I can only imagine right now what many of you are thinking. Um, Canada? Um, Why not Africa? Or why not South America? Or why not China? Or Canada? Really? Canada? And I want to take just a little bit of time for us to pray, to consecrate ourselves toward this. And then I want to explain to you, begin to unpack through Scripture How I believe God would lead us to do this. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you with this news. And God, right now, I feel like that I have, if possible, have been pregnant with this news. And God, that this news, we've just given birth to this news, to your people here. God, I pray now, Lord, that you would, Lord, do a work in the hearts and the minds of your people here in this faith family, God, that we would, we would follow you. God, that we would step out and we would get past our questions and our doubts and our skepticism. And God, that we would instead embrace the lostness that's there and embrace your call to go to the nations. And God, that you would use us 
in the weeks and the months and the years to come in Canada. God, we pray, Lord, that you would direct us, Lord, sovereignly direct us toward either Toronto or Montreal. God, that you would put together the connections between us here in Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, with the people there in those cities that are working on the ground to plant churches. God, I pray that you would begin to equip us to scale the boundaries that are there. Lord, whether it be language or culture, religious ideas, the skepticism of the people. Lord, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would begin in us, Lord, to equip us to be able to scale those boundaries that we might attempt to do great things for you and expecting you to do great things through us. Lord, I pray now, God, that you would show us how. Lord, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you think? Canada, you good? Are you on board? So you don't know yet, right? Well, I want to attempt today to show you how God would would have us to do this. And I'm going to attempt to go through two chapters of Scripture today. Now, keep in mind that I know what time it is. That I know Wallace has come and I've, I was the one who asked him to do this. So I will not be going in depth into these passages, but I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter four. And largely what we're going to do in the remaining time that we have is to read these two chapters together. I'm going to read and explain as we go along. And I want to do this as I've done with this entire series. I want to frame this in such a way as to answer maybe excuses that you might have. As to why we can't go to Canada, why we shouldn't go to Canada. So I want you to hear this and I want to I want to answer these for you. Let me tell you off the bat, the first thing that we should expect in going to Canada is we should expect we should be prepared to be persecuted. Maybe not in the same way that we might be if we'd have gone to the 1040 window and going into northern Africa and the Middle East. We looked at those places as well. We prayed seriously. Asking God, God, if it would be your will to send us there, God, send us there. You don't, you don't you can't imagine the task that is before you until you sit down and try to get God's heart for where he would have you to go in the world. Have you looked at a map of the world lately? And to say, God, where out of all of this would you have us to go? We've landed on Canada because we believe that God has led us there. And I would tell you that the first thing we should do is be prepared that we will be persecuted. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter four. Look at these first three verses. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And this is Peter and John here. He's talking about greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I want you to notice in this passage that these disciples, these that are following boldly, the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus, Jesus coming and saying to them before he went back to heaven, go and make disciples of all nations. They're going and they're doing this. And here they are in Jerusalem still. 
And remember, he had told them in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But it will start in Jerusalem and it will go to all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is largely the outworking of that. And here in chapters four and five, we see the very first opposition. We see them begin here in Jerusalem and they experience persecution. It says that they rushed upon them and they arrested them for two reasons. One, they were annoyed. They were greatly annoyed. And what you and I can expect is when we go to a people who are not like us, claiming exclusivity in the gospel, that the gospel is the only way for anyone to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. We can expect that we will annoy a lot of people. Mark it down. They will be annoyed. Now, why were these people annoyed with the preaching here of Peter and John? Well, largely because Peter and John were unqualified men. They had never been to seminary. They had never been to Bible college. These were fishermen who had spent three years with the man that they just killed. And now they're teaching and they are annoyed. Not only that, but they are proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And we can mark it down that. We will experience the same kind of persecution when we go. People don't like hearing that they are sinners. People don't like hearing that there is a real hell and a real heaven. And I want you to know that going in, it may not be the Middle East. It may not be northern Africa. But we must not rest and think that it will be a piece of cake. We must not think that it will not take all of us. We must indeed say that even going into Canada, our neighbors to the north, we will expect we we will experience real persecution. They were arrested. These are real consequences. This is not this is not just figurative talk here. This is real consequences. These they are really arrested. But three things I want to show you over these two chapters that we can expect, even though going in, we will we will be persecuted. We Some of us, we may not be arrested. We might be. We probably won't be in Canada, but we will be persecuted. The three things that we can expect going into Canada, whether it's Canada or whether it's northern Africa or the Middle East or whether it's India, whether it's South America or China or Australia, wherever it is, we can expect these three things as we obediently go to the nations. Number one, we can expect God's power. We can expect God's power. Look at verse four. I'm going to read verses four through thirty one. Big chunk, but follow along with me. But many of those they've just been arrested, but many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about five thousand. Now, keep that in mind. Let me I'll pause along the way. But keep in mind, they've just been arrested. But people believe in droves. Now, does that make any sense? Normally, when the authorities come in and break up a group and they arrest those that are leading the group, normally they scatter, don't they? They don't usually say, you know, I think I want that. I'll believe that. But the power of God here moves on the people and they believe. And the number of disciples goes from 3000 on the day of Pentecost to now, just a few days later, up to 5000 men, not counting women and children. Verse five on the next day, 
Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest and Caiaphas and John, not not the apostle John, a relative here of Annas and Caiaphas and Alexander and all who were who, who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? By what name there means by what authority? Whose authority are you teaching in? Whose authority are you proclaiming resurrection in Jesus by? Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, this is where he could have stopped. They asked him, by what power, by what authority are you teaching this? He could have said, by the authority of Jesus Christ. But look at what he's, look at what he goes on to say. Whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Here is Peter. I want you to notice this. Peter, just a few days before. In the garden, when they come to arrest Jesus. One last flash of bravery or stupidity, if you will, draws the sword, swings at the head of Malchus, cuts off his ear. Jesus picks up his ear, puts it back on his head and Then Peter runs. Peter flees. He runs like a coward. He denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows that morning while Jesus is on trial. And then he goes off into just hiding. He's disappeared. Suddenly, when Jesus comes back and Jesus gives him the Great Commission, then just a few chapters into Acts, we find him boldly in the face of those who don't miss it, just killed his leader. Calling them out. This Jesus whom you crucified. He was buried and God raised him from the dead. He was the stone that you, the builders, rejected. What's what's made the difference? What made the difference was the power of God. Verse eight, when it says that the Holy Spirit fills him, he is able to stand boldly in front of those men that could have very well killed him as well. And he lays his life down and says, kill me. If you do, you do me a favor and you send me to the same place that Jesus is right now. We can expect the power of God. Keep going. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Some of you right now, you're going to, as you leave here today, there there will be two stations that are set up in the narthex. We had a little bit of them set up as you came in, that more of them will be set up on your way out. Nobody leave right now and go to the restroom so you can check those out. But but they'll be out there when when you leave. And upon leaving, videos will be playing that there will be a a handout that you can get where you can get more information on the statistics and and the, uh, the things that are going on in Toronto and also in Montreal You're also going to get, if you want it, a DVD. And on that DVD, there are videos. 
And you're going to see some things in those videos and read some things on that paper that you're going to say, I I just don't know that I'm qualified to go there. I mean, did did you hear what Wallace said? That in Montreal, 50 percent of the people who live in Montreal were born outside of the nation of Canada. That means they're coming from places like Pakistan. They're coming from places like Iraq. They're coming from places like Afghanistan. They're coming from places that are very hostile to the gospel. And they are there's a heavy influence of Islam and other religions of the world that will be there. And some of you will hear things on this video and you will say, you know, I just don't know enough about it. I don't think I could go. I don't want you to miss that 13 says that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were confused. They were astonished because they realized these are uneducated and common men. But. They had been with Jesus. All it takes. Hear me on this. All it takes for you to become a missionary is for you to be a blood bought, spirit filled believer in Christ. And his power will go with you and go before you. He will open doors that you could never open. He will close doors that you would not in your wisdom close. He will break down barriers that you could not attempt to break down. His power will go with us. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, they go on and it says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Look, you need to know that going in, we're going to see authentic work of God as we go. Who knows? It may be slow. It may be quick. We don't know. But what we're not talking about, hear me on this. We as a faith family are not talking about a mission trip. Okay, get that out of your head. We're not talking about this summer. We're going to Canada. What we are talking about is that. For multiple summers and multiple falls, multiple winters and multiple springs, we will send groups from this very congregation. You who are sitting in these seats, different groups at different times, we're going to send you in connected with church planters on the field to do the work of planting churches there. We're going to see a lasting effort here. That's what we're talking about. Not a mission trip. But going back repeatedly over and over and over again. Hear me on this. The Great Commission is not complete when someone prays a prayer, signs a card and gets wet. The Great Commission will be complete when they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him by being baptized. And then they are in a church where they are being fully discipled and they learn to disciple others. What we're looking to do is to plant churches where there are none. You and I take for granted that we can come here and we can sit under teaching and we can be discipled. We are working with Terry Layton and Kevin Layton in a class trying to train people here to be able to one on one intentionally disciple people in our faith family as well as outside of our faith family. We don't want to just do that here. We want to do that there as well. And over the course of time, one year, two years, three years, who knows? It's eight years till 2020 when they're expecting to to um, to plant 1000 churches. I, I woke up last night. This is one of the dreams I had. Now, I don't know if this is of God or not, but I thought 
if they're if they're going to work until 2020 trying to plant a thousand churches, what if we committed at least to 2020 to go to Canada? I'm not saying I've not talked to any of any of this team about this. I just woke up with that last night and thought eight years. You know what that would mean? That would mean that in eight years that children right now who are in the fourth grade might possibly go to become pastors, church planters in Canada. Those that are those that are between that, those that are in high school right now might decide that they might forego a year of college and go to Canada and work. We might have professionals in our faith family that we would hate to see them go because they would leave a hole here that we would rejoice in the fact that we might send young professionals out of our midst and go and move and plant their lives in Canada. And here's what I want you to see. When these scribes, when these elders, when these rulers looked and saw this man who was crippled, but now was standing before them totally well, they didn't have anything to say. They were speechless. Their mouths were closed. And what we're going to see over however many years, however long God was to have us there in Canada, is we're going to see him do authentic work there that will close the mouths of skeptics and it will display his glory. Join me. In praying and laboring for that. Verse 15. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying. What shall we do with these men? What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further Among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. These are powerful men. These are the men who pulled off the crucifixion of the Son of God. And they can find no way to punish Peter and John. Isn't that evidence of the power of God? They they can't do anything with them, so they say, let's threaten them and let them go. I don't see any other way around this. Look at verse 23. Keep going. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, that's important. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and anointed his and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod. And Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with your speak your word with all boldness while your hand while you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Notice that they don't they don't pray here in the face of their threats. Now, I want you to put yourself there. These are the men who killed Jesus. These are not empty threats. This is not them saying, now we're telling you, you better not preach about this man, Jesus, anymore or else. I mean, I remember my parents used to say to me sometimes, or else. And there were times when I knew they meant or else or or else. You know, there, there were, sometimes that meant different things. But probably I read one commentator this week who said that probably on their way out, one of them whispered to them on their way out and just said, you remember what we did to your leader. This is no empty threat. This is not we're going to write your name on the board. This is not you're going to have to stand in the corner. This is not. You're going to be grounded in the threat, in the face of the threat of death. They don't pray. Hear me. They do not pray. God, would you get us out of here? Instead, they say, God, would you give us boldness to keep preaching the gospel? And the place where they were praying was shaken with power. What we can expect going to Canada is we can expect to be persecuted. But along the way, first off, we can expect God's power to go with us and to go before us. Our God is a powerful God. Don't miss this. And he will go with us. Many of you are saying, but how? How can we do this? God is powerful. God will do the work. Let's keep going. The second thing that we can expect as we go to Canada is this. We can expect God's provision. We can expect God's provision. God will provide. Look at verses 32 through 37 in chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, and Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. How will we do this? We can expect God's provision. We have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Now, that's cliche. We see that sometimes on church marquees as we drive through the country. And it's meant to be so much more than a cliche. We live in one of the most blessed parts of the world. Many of us have extra cars. We have extra TVs. We have extra computers. We have extra cell phones. We have extra clothes. Don't we? We have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And some of you will come to this task and say, but how? How will we ever afford this? 
God has put all that we need already in our own pockets. Look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? What Ananias and Sapphira were doing was they wanted to look good before all of the other Christians who were selling things and bringing the, the, the profit from it. Bringing the, the, the money that they had gotten from the piece of property. They want to look good. So they sell this piece of property. But instead of bringing the whole thing and bring all of what they got from the property, they bring only a portion of it. Nothing wrong with that. But instead, what they do is they bring only a portion, but they tell everyone this is all that we got for this property. Aren't we spiritual? Look at how holy we are. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Now, that right there, that right there will will hurt church attendance. You know, that that's not a church growth strategy there. When people begin to drop dead in in the, the worship service, you know, normally people don't come back. OK. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We live in a place of the world where we are extremely blessed. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed so that we would be generous people so that others might be blessed as well. Brought into the family of God. But isn't this section Verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. Isn't this section very telling of, unfortunately, Christianity in America? That we have largely been blessed by God to be a blessing to the nations for the glory of God. But instead, we have people that are dying every single day. And they are being buried with their blessing. They're not taking it on with them. Nor have they used it while they were here, breathing on this planet for the glory of God among the nations. Their blessings stop with them. I think this is a picture of contemporary Christianity in America. In fact, if you look, I mean, we now have a thing called Craigslist. And Craigslist is is. Good in a lot of ways. You can if you're looking for a certain product, a certain device or whatever the case may be. You can go on Craigslist and search and you can find somewhere somebody has what you're looking for and they will sell it to you because at some point they just knew they had to have it. But now they don't necessarily have to have the thing that they used to think they had to have. So now they're putting it on Craigslist and somebody else wants it. Somebody else's junk is somebody else's treasure. 
You don't believe me. This is a picture of contemporary Christianity in America. Have you ever seen the show Hoarders? I know I've made reference to this show before, but I, this, this show, Hoarders on TLC, Buried Alive. I was watching this one time, and they were going into this house, and you couldn't walk. You had to climb over mounds of things. I mean, there's, there's a little path. It looks like what your dog wears out around the house in, in his little pity pat trail. It's what it looks like in these people's houses. And they went into this woman's bedroom and they were cleaning this thing out. And up under the waterbed, there is a dead cat. And without being too graphic, it wasn't freshly dead. And that's the state. You may not have dead animals in your house, but we are largely people who hoard and hold on to and say, God bless us. And we ignore the fact that he has largely blessed us beyond measure so that we might turn those blessings into blessings to the nations. I got to go on. I'm, I'm way, way out of time. Some of you would say things like, how can we afford to do this? It's too costly. Let me tell you something. I'll have a Q&A session tonight if you want to come back and we'll, we'll look at some of these things tonight. But being afraid that we will go broke Trying to obey God is ludicrous. It is absurd. Let me say it again. Being afraid that we will go broke trying to obey God is absurd. Does he not own the cattle on a thousand hills? What could you possibly have that you could give to God that he does not already own? Nothing. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your money. But the gospel is It's him inviting us into the process and allowing us to display that he is more glorious to us than anything we could ever own on this planet. He invites us into the process, being afraid that we will go broke, trying to obey God while holding on to all sorts of things that we he never asked us to do. Well, now that's a possibility. And in the days to come, we may have to look at our budget as a church and look at how we're spending money and say, you know what? These are these are areas where we're spending money largely on ourselves that we don't need to be spending money here. This money could be better served taking the gospel to the nations. Some of you would say, how can we afford to do this? And I would ask you an opposite question. How can we afford not to do this? What are we frivolously spending money on that in light of his infinite worth? And the vast spiritual darkness and physical suffering in the world does not make sense. What are we spending money on? It just doesn't make sense in light of that. I could go on. I could give you scripture here, but he could take anything he wanted to you from any time because he's Lord. But he gives us an opportunity to say, Jesus, I willingly, willingly will give you anything that you deem necessary. Take it. It is not mine. It is yours for your glory. We can expect God's power. We can expect God's provision. And lastly, I know I'm out of time. We can expect God's protection. We can expect God's protection. I won't read through the very last part of this chapter for the sake of time. I don't like not doing that, but I, I want to respect your time. 
But as you read through this particular section of Scripture, verses 11 through 42, I just want to show you some things. Go home and read it on your own. God will protect his missionaries. Some of you would say things like, it's too dangerous to go. We can't, we can't go there. It's too dangerous. I want you to know that God will protect his missionaries. In verse 11, when he kills Ananias and Sapphira and great fear comes upon all those, he is protecting them from infiltration of Satan. In verses 12 through 25 of chapter 5, he delivers them from prison. When they are put in prison, all of a sudden, they're let go. They're out. And they're told to go back and preach. And the leaders, the rulers, get up the next morning and say, okay, go down to the prison now that we can have this trial and go get them, bring them up here. And when they go to find them, they're not there. Because God has let them out. And then all of a sudden, it's comical. Somebody runs into the court and says, hey, uh, those guys you put in jail last night, they're in the temple preaching. God will protect. He delivered them from prison. In verse 26, he keeps them from harmful force. When they send these soldiers to go and get these men out of the prison, it specifically says that they didn't bring them by force. Because they were afraid of the people. They're kind to them when they bring them back. Hey, we've got some things we want to talk to you about. Would you mind coming with us? Verses 27 through 39, he shields them from being killed. They, these rulers and elders want to kill them. But instead, he puts this man before them, part of the council here. And he begins to tell the story. Gamaliel starts to tell the story of these past uprises that had happened. And he says, you know what, if we if we just leave this thing alone, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's of God and we can't stop it anyway. And if we try, we're going to be working against God. Or if it's not of God, it will come to nothing. So let's just let's just leave it alone. And it says that they took his advice. That when Peter and John said, we will go and we will trust in the power of God, the provision of God and the protection of God, they found that they were untouchable. Now, eventually they were killed. They were killed for the gospel. Don't hear me saying that they weren't killed. They were killed. God protects his missionaries, but we must be willing to suffer. In the end, in verses 40 through 42, what we see there is we see that they threaten them again. That before they send them on their way and let them go, it says they beat them. They beat them. Bloodied, bruised, broken bones, possibly. They beat them. But after they had been beaten and released, they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council. Peter and John go out. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And they kept preaching the gospel in the temple every day. They keep going back. We must know that God will protect us, but we also must be willing to suffer. I want to read to you and I'll close with this. Just bear with me just a little bit longer. Romanian pastor, Joseph Sohn. David Platt has written about this and he's included this. I just want to share this with you. This is Romanian pastor, Joseph Sohn, recounted a time when he was being interrogated by six men. He was arrested for preaching the gospel. He said to one of them, what is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between my God and me. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. 
I only know, sirs, that you will not that you will do to me only what God wants you to do. And you will not go one inch further because you are only an instrument of my God. Every day, he says, I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets. The song continues and he says, during an early interrogation, I had I told an officer who was threatening to kill me, sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up again and say, I'd better listen to this again to, to see what this man preached because he really meant what he said. He sealed it with his life. So, sir. My sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. After I said this, the interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating a pastor friend of mine told him, We know that Mr. Song would love to be a martyr, but we are not that foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of that statement. I remembered how for many years I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a low profile because I wanted because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity. But now that I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel, they were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted, knowing that I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was losing it. Now that I was willing to lose it, I found it. Church, I'm asking you, as we talk about this, going to Canada, as we do more than talk, as we pray and we eventually go, I'm asking you to to know that you can go counting on God's power. You can go counting on God's provision. You can know that God, he will protect. So I'm asking you, I'm begging you, church, the only way I know how, let's give our lives for the glory of God in Canada. Let's lay them down. Let's say to this world, you can have my life. You can have the American dream if you want to take the American dream. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for the next. I want to challenge you. And this is the way we'll end the service today. We're going to have a time of reflection and response in a minute. But I want to challenge you to continue for the next two weeks to pray and to fast together as a congregation. Many of you have shared with me over the past week how you're doing and what you're fasting from. And I would challenge you to keep fasting Remember that that time of fasting is not just time away from whatever you're giving up, but it's also time for you to actually spend time praying to our God. Continue to fast and pray. And on your way out today, I've told you that there would be stations that will be set up uh, where you can pick up more information on either Toronto or Montreal. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to be here and uh, I want to show you a video and I want to then open the floor uh, for a time of Q&A. I know there's questions that you might have uh, about how this will look and, and what we're talking about. And so come with some questions and I will do my best to an- answer those questions. And then here's here's what I want you to hear in the bulletin over the next two weeks in the bulletin. You will have an insert and that insert will be a feedback card. 
And we're asking you that as you're praying, God, would you reveal to us where in Canada you would have us to go? Either Toronto or Montreal. God, where would you lead us to go? We, we want you to take that, that feedback card and we want you to write out what God is, what is, what is showing you. What are your thoughts? What are your concerns? What are you hearing from the Lord? And then there will be a box out there central in the narthex, probably on that middle credenza against the wall where we just want you to anonymously. You can write your name or not write it. Just drop those in there because we know coming in, this is not just me and the nine members of this team. We know that if we're going to take on such a big task, it will need to be all of us. So we want you involved. We want to hear from you. We want to hear God's heart for us on this. Sound like a plan? All right, let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, I feel like I have just ran a marathon. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of Acts chapter 4 and 5 and the truth of Acts 1 verse 8 and the truth of Acts or Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That you would take the truth of passages like John 17 and Romans 10 and other places. And God, that you would, Lord, confirm those in the hearts and the minds of your people here. Lord, I pray, God, that you would plant within us this desire to follow you obediently to Canada, to take the gospel. And God, that in going to Canada, Lord, that we would not neglect going here as well, that we want to go to the nation, but we also want to go to our own neighborhood. So, God, I pray that you would make us a missional people, help us to look outside of ourselves, to not live the modern version of American Christianity where everything is largely about us. God, help us to see that we have been blessed to be a blessing. God, would you take us wherever you would have us to go for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you a time to reflect. Now, this has not been largely a gospel message. This has been a what the gospel calls us to message, but this has not been a a sharing of the gospel message. But if you're here today and maybe maybe through the week you, you read something or you heard something or maybe even this morning the Spirit of God has prompted you that you need the Lord. You have, you've, you're lost. You're dead in your sin. Then I will be here in this, in this time of reflection and response. And I'd love to counsel with you. I'd love to talk with you and lead you to faith in the Lord. Um, today, if you're here and, and you've heard the news of going to Canada and you say, you know what, I'm in. You may want to just stay where you are. You may want to come across these steps and pray. We want to give you that opportunity to pray and commit yourself to this. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'm just not sure. Maybe it's your age or, or your stage of life or whatever it is. You say, I just don't know what I could do. Well, maybe you just need to come before the Lord and say, God, would you show me what I am to do? And we'll talk more about that as we have time. But maybe just open yourself to God and say, God, I'm, I'm open. I don't know how, but God, I'm open to this. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the, the passion for going beyond ourselves, taking the gospel to our neighborhood and the nations. And you say, this is the church where I believe God would have me join and plant my life. I want to become a member of this, this faith family. And I would love to be here and receive you. We have a membership class that will be starting up in a few weeks. And we'd love to take you through that and introduce you to more of what it means to be a member here at Abner Creek. But 
whatever it is that God leads you to today, and don't harden your heart, but follow Him in obedience. Don't walk out of here saying, man, I wish I would have. In the moment, in the moment, be obedient. Let's be a faith-filled people that lives for His glory. Amen? You respond as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.